I am a strong believer that the road to resilience or the path to resilience for farmers must include the well-being of the farmer. It concerns me the amount of discussion going on these days around regenerative agriculture and focusing just on the health of the environment because people farm. It's people that are managing landscape. Welcome to the 299th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. There's nothing like a thousand-year storm in September, a devastating drought in August, or a killing frost in June to expose the vulnerabilities of a farming operation. Unfortunately, as climate change makes itself more evident, Farmers of all types are grappling with weather-related calamities that test the very survival of their operations. That often means scrambling to identify the weak spots in an agricultural enterprise and putting in stopgap measures to rescue a single growing season. But as regenerative agriculture expert Laura Lignick points out, all too often farmers see themselves as the weak link when a weather disaster strikes. That involves a lot of self-blame. Maybe if I just worked even harder... I can muscle through this immediate situation, goes the thinking. But the author of Resilient Agriculture, Cultivating Food Systems for a Changing Climate, says such a narrow approach does not build the kind of long-term agronomic, economic, and ecological sustainability successful farming operations need. And even worse, it ignores the fact that the mental and physical well-being of the humans raising that food is just as important as the health of the soils it's being raised in. In her writings and work with farmers and organizations across the country, Laura promotes taking a whole farm, holistic approach to dealing with climate change and building long-term resilience. In fact, she recently traveled from her base in North Carolina to the Midwest to work with a couple dozen specialty crop producers who were taking part in a training series sponsored by the Land Stewardship Project and University of Minnesota Extension. During the series, farmers who were producing fruit and vegetables in Minnesota and Wisconsin received intensive tutorials on whole farm management, shared strategies, and developed plans for creating climate-resilient operations. After the first training session, Laura, who's the Director of Agriculture at the Glenwood Center for Regional Food and Farming, as well as the owner of a company called Cultivating Resilience, LLC, sat down to talk to me about the key role building soil health plays in dealing with climate change, why we shouldn't always rush to find immediate solutions, and how farmers sometimes need to accept loss in order to be resilient in the long term. One of the things you talked about that really struck me was this idea of when you're struggling with climate, with the effects of climate change and extreme weather on your farm, it will, it's, it's really good at really showing the weaknesses in your system. It, it really is, it just kind of seeks out those weaknesses and you have to, and it is where a lot of farmers have to come to terms with, okay, I need to change some of the things I'm doing around here. I think uh, one of the main stories of the effect of climate change in agriculture is that it increases stress. It increases whatever the stresses currently existing on the farm, whether that be soil health or maybe pest populations or just whatever those stresses are to crops and 
livestock on the farm. Climate change or the, the changing weather patterns, particularly more variable weather and more extreme weather events, they're just going to add to that stress. And so in that way, they're revealing the, those, these changes in weather are revealing the weaknesses on the farm. That's one reason, one of the steps of doing climate resilience planning is to do a SWOT or look at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the important reason for doing that when you're thinking about climate resilience on the farm is that you can both build on strengths and opportunities, and you, you also really, in order to be more resilient, must look at weaknesses and threats as well. Mm. Can you, uh, do you have a quick example of an actual situation where a farm uses SWAT, what, what they would be looking, some of the things that they would actually be looking at? Yes, well, again, just because soil health is such a, a great uh, example of resilience, um, and it's also something that farmers can pretty quickly change on their farm. So for that reason, it's, it's, it's a great example when we're thinking about resilience. Um, so if a farmer identifies a weakness as soil erosion on a certain part of their farm, or just uh, maybe it's, it's something like soil compaction or surface crusting or something related to soil health that they've noticed is making it difficult for them to manage. And those kinds of, all those things that I just described, the soil characteristics that I just described, crusting, soil compaction, or um, increased erosion in one part of, of a field, for example, all of those things are just going to make the damage created by more extreme rainfall or, and really drought as well. Mm-hmm. It's just going to make the damage that much more. So mm-hmm. it's emphasizing or amplifying the stress created by the underlying soil quality issue. It, it's clear that whole farm planning and holistic management are so key to this. And one of the things that you points that you made was this: the concept that you need to separate, if you're going to do true holistic management, the, the strength of that is separating a little bit the farm from your life in a way. I mean, people think, well, it's all together. That's, yeah, that's the point. It, you, you can't get so fixated on, I've got a farm no matter what. I'm a strong believer that the road to resilience or the path to resilience for farmers must include the well-being of the farmer. It concerns me the amount of discussion going on these days around regenerative agriculture and focusing just on the health of the environment because people farm. It's people that are managing landscape. And so as I was beginning to look for tools that we could use to help farmers adapt to climate change, whole farm planning came into view very quickly and particularly some practices within holistic management. Um, I, I saw real value in bringing that into a climate resilience planning process. The reason is that one thing that we know is true about climate change is we are all going to have to get better at dealing with loss, Mm -hmm. at dealing with stress, and being willing to step back when something's not working for us in this new climate, to be able to step back and look more holistically at why we're doing that thing, and is there a way we could do it differently to achieve our big goals. People farm because they, they, they view themselves as farmers, but I think there's some benefit 
in the current climate conditions for us to step back and think more about what the farm is doing for the family and how the farm is uh, supporting family goals. And that's exactly what the holistic, uh, the three-part holistic goal, um, one of the practices in holistic management, does so well. And that's a really good point. And it, it reminds me of something else you talked about. You mentioned loss. And it's not just accepting that you're going to have a a loss of tomatoes that year or broccoli, but maybe a loss of you're not going to be raising that particular crop anymore. Yes. I think that's a, that's a really key message to get across. I agree that's really important to think about in all of this, and, and it's something that can be difficult because I know, I mean, I'm a, I've grown diversified vegetables. I know many farmers. I've known many farmers well over the course of my career. And we tend to do things, we tend to grow things that we have a feeling for mm-hmm. or some kind of relationship with. And what I see going on right now across the country is farmers and the people that support them are having trouble recognizing when we have to change, when we have to let go of something that's a tradition. It may be, you know, generations of a family have been livestock growers, for example, mm-hmm. or, or vegetable growers or orchardists. And given the rapid change in weather conditions, it's important for, I think, it's an, an important piece of adaptation will be for farm families and the people that support them to be able to stand back and say, you know, I want to work with land and I want to grow food, but it doesn't have to be X or Y. It may need to be something else. Mm -hmm. It's not that people, it's not that farmers have to get out of farming, but they may need to shift to the species that they're caring for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a really good, uh, Rodrigo Caleb, which is one of the farmers who was at the retreat yesterday, told a story of, he says, I'm really good at raising, or I thought I was really good at, he's he's, he's questioned that, but now he's, he's still certain he's really good at raising broccoli really good at it, but the climate changed on him. The situation changed, and he had three failures in a row, and he realized, I just, that's not, you know, and part of it for him is then diversifying, having that diversity to fall back on, so he's not just a broccoli grower, because all of a sudden, after years and years, he's not growing broccoli anymore. Yeah, that was a great story. And it really, um, for me, it really emphasized the benefits of doing a climate resilience plan. Heard his story, really, he really was very confident in his ability to to grow broccoli. When his broccoli crops started not performing at a level he was used to, he first looked at soil, he looked at um, what were some of the other things he talked about, changing the way he was irrigating. He really went through every possible change to make in his management of broccoli. And it took him a few years of losses before he finally realized this is, and actually, if you remember, he talked about calling a friend down in Mexico growing broccoli and asking, and the, the friend was saying, well, we're having the same kinds of problems. And eventually, he realized it was weather. It was changes in weather, and it wasn't, it, it had no bearing on his ability mm-hmm. to grow broccoli. It was just that the weather had changed enough. He yeah. couldn't, it, no one could grow broccoli well. The, the benefit of doing a climate resilience plan is, I believe, um, done well, that plan can help a farmer see before they go through the years of loss that this is just a crop that doesn't work for me anymore. 
it's like the old saw, it's not me, it's you, or no, it's not you, it's me. It's like, in this case, it's not me, it's the weather. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And so I think taking that, those steps, the creating a holistic goal so you understand what are the underlying reasons you're farming, what are those big picture reasons that you're farming, and then learning something about how weather has changed and how it's likely to change in coming years. Those are really useful steps for a farmer to sit back, take a step back, and think, I may love to grow broccoli. I may have a tradition of growing broccoli. I may have some identity, perhaps, and mm-hmm. some pride of, of uh, management in growing broccoli, but it's just not going to work any longer. Well, and I think that dovetails with, with a point you made about this idea of really taking your time and assessing and planning and monitoring and not, you know, we tend to, especially in this country and with modern agriculture, go straight to the solution that we have to, sometimes we have to be comfortable with sitting with our discomfort a little bit and dealing with the problem so you can assess it and get a true long-term solution, it sounds like. Yes. um, i I was so interested that that came up in our conversation during the retreat. And it's such an important point because we do, I think our culture does want us to go immediately to a solution. And typically, I think it's true in this culture that we we look for, we, we aren't comfortable sitting long enough to really begin to look at root cause. And so we end up addressing symptoms, and they're not long-term solutions. And so one thing that whole farm planning does for a farmer is really help them find those longer-term solutions that are really addressing more, getting closer Mm -hmm. to the root causes of of why the farm maybe isn't performing as well as it used to. Yeah, one of the things that strikes me is when you talk about whole farm planning and holistic management and, and trying to and actually having to sit in that discomfort a little bit and look at the big picture is one of the things I think that we often ignore when talking about agriculture and climate change and the impacts is this isn't about just about the plants or the animals. It's about the people, that, that, that there's that. And I, I get a sense from sitting in on these other climate retreats that we've had and workshops there's a lot of discussion about the stress, the mental stress that comes with this. And that's where holistic management and whole farm planning can come into play again around that as well. Absolutely. The, the human side of all of this, um, I think it's, we've gotten, it's been a little late to the, the table that mm-hmm. we're thinking more about the stress on farmers. And, and yes, the whole farm planning can really help to address the stress. The reason is because whole farm planning provides a framework for farmers to be able to fairly easily observe changes on their farm. Whole farm planning also, because it begins with creating these overarching goals, I think the way way I think about how whole farm planning, the goal part of whole farm planning helps with stress is it helps people keep their eye on the prize. The reason they're farming is the well-being of family, um, whatever those things are that really motivate them to get up every day and Mm -hmm. do the work. And and whole farm planning, um, done well, requires you every year to revisit some of those bigger picture goals. I think revisiting our goals regularly really helps to put into context some of the losses that farmers are experiencing around weather and keep our uh, spirit strong because we're recognizing that these 
these kinds of disturbances or shocks are just bumps in the road mm -hmm. because we have our eye on that bigger, longer-term picture. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's not a panacea, but I think it's, it's a huge benefit to farmers to keep, be able to keep those bigger goals in mind. Mm -hmm. Well, what kind of fits into that too is this whole idea, and there was quite a discussion around this idea of taking advantage of opportunities that maybe climate change offers up, but recognizing there's risks there as well. And you talked about this idea of shoulder seasons. And I know one of the other farms that was participating was Foxdale Farm, and I'm familiar with them over the years. They have become, that's all they do. They have a CSA that only works in the shoulder seasons. It doesn't doesn't do the typical growing season type of CSA. But that, that whole idea of you can take advantage of these, but it's not, you got to also have your eyes open and realize there's going to be there are risks there, obviously, but it's an opportunity in a way. Yes, and that's important to recognize that there are opportunities in these changing weather patterns as well. And yes, uh, as you say, when you begin to look for opportunities, you may be moving your farming into more risky times of year, and so you do have to take care of and, and manage that risk as well. But it can be very profitable for farms to do that if they're good risk managers. Mm -hmm. And I am seeing that pattern all over the country, mm -hmm. that farmers are seeing the opportunity there if they happen to be, if they have the skills or they can learn the skills of managing the higher risks, then they can really um, be successful as yeah. farmers. Do you have a couple examples of people who have done that? Um, sure. Uh, the story that or the farmer that comes to mind first for me is one that that I featured in the first edition of Resilient Agriculture and that's um, Paul Mueller um, Full Belly Farm in California and he in the that, that was the first round of interviews I did uh, back in 2012 or so and uh, since the second edition has come out I, I did another round of interviews as well but back in 2012 what Paul talked a lot about was reckon as the season was uh, the length of the growing season mm -hmm. was increasing and it's increasing the most the far it increases more the farther west you go in the U.S. So he's in California. They, they had at that time something like two or three weeks longer growing season, which for a, a diversified vegetable grower is another succession of crops. So yeah. it's a significant increase in the growing season. At any rate, he was noticing the change in growing season and talked a lot about taking advantage of the edges. He called them the edges, but recognizing that there was more risk. And so thinking through practices that would reduce those risks. Something that's been used, commonly used in diversified veg growing, that's been used to greater extent to handle this risk on the edges would be some kind of protected growing space. So it's not anything particularly new, but what's new is recognizing that you can protect a growing space for um, season extension. Mm -hmm. And so really it's just a um, application of season extension techniques into these parts of the season that were just too, weren't available to growers yeah. before. Well, I'm seeing so many more caterpillar tunnels and high tunnels, of course. And yeah, it's just, it's all of a sudden they just seem, and they're not a waste of money. Boy, people really need, I mean, even things like getting a late snowfall 
and that'll keep you from having a wipeout. Yeah, exactly. Um, In my work over the last decade, what I've seen nationally, uh, a few of the patterns for enhancing resilience on farms, soil health is number one. Farmers recognize that they just have got to get better at managing for soil health. The second is more diversity, diversification. You mentioned that earlier. And the third is diverse market as well. So diversification, not just in production, but in marketing. Number four, is managing too much and not enough water. Mm. I mean, that is a challenge all over the country, and uh, protected growing space is very common, particularly um, in vegetable producers. But really, even some fruit growers are beginning to add physical protection to crops as well. So uh, protected growing space, uh, and then um, more more irrigation, more drainage. That's the pattern across the country. Yeah, that was certainly in the discussion yesterday. There was a lot of talk about water. Yeah. And and that just fits so it fits so nicely into this whole little kind of almost revolution or or just huge in, interest in soil health, both in quote-unquote conventional ag, but in specialty crops and regenerative ag is this whole soil health thing really fits nicely with this. It fits nicely as a, a adaptation, climate change adaptation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The the main benefit of soil health is around this too much and not enough water mm-hmm. threat or, or challenge associated with changing weather patterns. And healthy soils are such a good example of how a well-functioning ecosystem process, right, which healthy soils uh, support lots of different fun- well-functioning ecosystem processes, but in particular managing the water cycle. Um, soil health is so important for that. And we're seeing the benefits of that all over the country. One of the things that I find really exciting is, so for example, this series of workshops that we're having with specialty crop producers is co-sponsored by the University of Minnesota Extension Service. And you had a publication from USDA SARE, the Sustainable Ag and Research Education, really nice piece that was handed out. And I know you've worked for them in the past. You've worked in that area. I get a sense that maybe... Government agencies, natural resource agencies, but also just risk management agency with the USDA have become much more aware of the importance of helping farmers become resilient in the face of climate change and are actually pointing up some resources and that kind of thing. Is, is it, has there been a little bit of a change there? Or what do you, what's your sense? I think in general, yes. I've been thinking about and working in agricultural adaptation to climate change a little more than a decade. And I do think there's more concerted effort mm-hmm. on, a, on the part of technical advice agencies. But it's not that, but, but there's always been some parts of government's uh, agencies that have already been, were thinking about this, mm-hmm. you know, long before regenerative agriculture became a kind of a headline. And in particular, what I'm thinking about is the soil health work that for, has been going on a long time in the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Mm-hmm. So there's been little pockets of um, interest in thinking about how we think about managing natural resources on the farm, for example, how that can be repurposed to support adaptation yeah. to climate change. But I do think there's been a more um, a general increase in awareness of, for example, soil, the importance of soil health mm-hmm. to adaptation. And there's also absolutely been a sea change in the, the sense of 
or, or the recognition that weather is weather patterns are changing, mm -hmm. that it's making it harder and more expensive to grow food, and that farmers needs need some assistance in making this in adapting to these changes. Yeah, and that's an important piece because that was a, a big part of the discussion yesterday. Was there's just a point. There's just only so much farmers can do on their individual farms, and there's a point where society needs to recognize the game has changed, <laughs> the playing field has changed a little bit, and um, if they are going to be interested in not only local sources of food and healthy food and all that, but things like clean water, carbon sequestration, all of that, that there's going to have to be some public resources that help support that. Absolutely, and that's where whole farm planning comes right back into the picture as well, uh, particularly holistic management, because whole farm planning and holistic management recognize that the farmer is managing land, but in the context of community. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, the holistic goal has the farmer think first about family goals mm -hmm. and then about what the farm it needs to produce in order to address those goals. But the third part of that goal, remember that was that three-part goal, yeah. is has the farmer looking out to community and thinking about the kind of community that they need to cultivate, to be a part of, that will support the farm over the long term and allow the family to meet their, their, their family goals. Mm -hmm. So um, absolutely... The resilience science tells us that farm, there are things farmers can do on the farm to enhance resilience, but, but they must have support from society. Um, there, there are things that society needs to do to create the space for farmers to adapt to climate change. information on making farms more climate resilient, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground number 299 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Morgandale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ears of the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSB. Thanks for listening.